It's on. Okay. We're reading from Samuel 25. I don't know whether anybody needs a Bible. So put your hands up. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, okay. Oh, that works better, doesn't it? It's funny that. Um, If anybody needs a Bible, can you put your hand up, please? And I've no idea what page number it is on. Okay, 1 Samuel 25. Samuel died, and all Israel assembled to mourn for him, and they buried him by his home in Ramah. David then went down to the wilderness of Paran. A man in Maon had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David sent ten young men instructing them, Go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, Long life to you and peace to you, peace to your family and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you are shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we did not harass them, and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. David's young men went and said all these things to Nabal on David's behalf, and they waited. Nabal asked them, Who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shearers and give them to these men? I don't know where they're from. David's young men retraced their steps. When they returned to him, they reported all these words. He said to his men, All of you, put on your swords. So each man put on his sword. Swords, And David also put on his sword. About 400 men followed David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed at them. The men treated us very well. When we were in the field, we weren't harassed and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living amongst them. There were a wall around us, both day and night. The entire time we were with them, herding the sheep. Now consider carefully what you should do, because there is certain to be trouble for our master and his entire family. He's such a worthless fool, nobody can talk to him. Abigail hurried, taking 200 loaves of bread, two, clays of, two clay jars of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of, ra- of raisins, 
and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her male servant, Go ahead of me, I will be right behind you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. As she rode the donkey down the mountain path, hidden from view, she saw David and his men coming toward her and met them. David had just said, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. He was not missing anything, and yet he paid me back evil for good. May God punish him and do so severely if I let any of his males survive until morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and knelt down with her face to the ground and paid homage to David. She knelt at his feet and said, The guilt is mine, my lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, did not see my Lord's young man whom you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as yourself live, It is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who intend to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who followed my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. Someone is pursuing you and intends to take your life. My Lord's life is stuck safely in the place where the Lord your God protects the living, but is flinging away your enemies' lives like stones from a sling. When the Lord... Thus for my Lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel. There will be no remorse or a troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. When the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember your servant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed, and may you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed, in avenging myself by my own hand. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who prevented me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, Nabal would not have had any males left by morning light. Then David accepted what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. See, I have heard what you said and have granted your request. Then Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was in his house, holding a feast fit for a king. Nabal's heart was cheerful, and he was very drunk, so she didn't say anything to him until morning light. In the morning, when Nabal sobered up, 
His wife told him about these events. His heart died and he became a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. Then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail about marrying him. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David sent us to bring you to him as a wife. She stood up, paid homage with her face to the ground and said, Here I am, your servant, a slave towards the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail got up quickly and with her five female servants accompanying her, rode on the donkey following David's messengers. And so she became his wife. David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and two of them became his wife. But Saul gave his daughter Michal to David's wife, and Michal, David's wife, to Palti, son, son of Laish, who was from Galim. My name is Peter, and I'm one of the assistant ministers here at Northmead. It's great to see everyone here at church and online. Let me pray. Father God, we give you thanks for this morning. We give you thanks, O Lord, for the ability to gather together to sit under your word. Lord, as we come now to look at your word, may you quieten our hearts, open our hearts to receive your instructions. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 25. Now, one of the things that I love doing is reading online newspapers. I troll through quite a few newspapers, not just Australian newspapers, but in the US, in the UK, and wherever I find. Mark would love to tell you that that's probably the only thing I do in the office. But what I do that is that I'm usually looking for what's making news, what are people concerned about. But I also look at the comments section. It intrigues me to see how people react to the articles. Their reaction is usually driven by their strong agreement or disagreement, anger, unhappiness with the articles. And they're actually not shy or diplomatic or tactful with their comments. So today's passage deals with David's reaction to Nabal's response that was contrary to his expectation. Someone described to me today's passage and he used the word doozy. All right, you can read this passage several times and you still won't fully understand it. So I'll try to take you through it. If you pay attention, you may be able to understand it. It deals with three main characters, David, Nabal, and Abigail. It also deals with their interaction with one another. So first, let's look at David. At the timeline of 1 Samuel, David was still hiding from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. If you look back at chapter 24, you have the time, go back and look and read chapter 24. 
But chapter 24, the scene is set in the caves at Engadi, a place by the Dead Sea. So Paul, or David, actually had the opportunity to kill Saul. But instead of killing Saul, he just simply cut off a corner of his robe. And 1 Samuel 24 says, I will never, David says, I will never lift my hands against Saul since he is the Lord's anointed. So David swore that he would never kill Saul despite Saul having wronged him. Chapter 25 begins and the Bible records the death of a great prophet and leader of Israel with a very simple statement. Samuel died. I don't think when I die, I will love my epitaph to say Peter died. But that's what the Bible records. Samuel, the great prophet, died. He was well-liked, well-respected, and all Israel assembled to mourn and bury him. But it's also that David has lost his mentor. David has lost his protector, his defender. David continued to run away from Saul. This time we read that he ran to the wilderness of Paran, that is south of Engadi. And by this time, David had built up an army of 600 men. That's a lot of mouth to feed. Remember that David was on the move frequently to avoid Saul. So he had no opportunity to farm and he no longer had any flock. He was very much dependent on the people of the area for his food. Verse 2 introduces us to Nabal. He was in Maon and had a business in Carmel. Nabal was not only rich, but the Bible tells us that he was very rich. To us city slickers, we probably cannot appreciate his wealth by the number of sheep and goats he had. He had 3,000 heads of sheep and 1,000 heads of goat. I don't think any of us can appreciate how wealthy he is. Now, if the Bible had said that he had 3,000 Ferraris and Lamborghinis and 1,000 Rolls Royce, easy, we would know that he was super rich. I've done a bit of research, and by today's agricultural standards, Nabal would have required a land size more than 10 square kilometers to farm his flock. And that's only the sheep and goat that the Bible tells us. I'm sure he's got other animals as well. If you cannot figure out how big 10 square kilometers is, it's bigger than the combined area of North Mead and Winston Hills. Think about that. And how much do we just pay for nine Lombard? So he was not just rich, he was very rich. Verse 3 makes it obvious to us that Nabal is the villain, the bad guy in this story. He's described as harsh and evil in his dealings. He did not fear God. He treated everything as his rightful possessions for his enjoyment and not to be shared. He was arrogant, insensitive, abusive, and narcissistic. We are also told he was a Calebite. We tend to skim over such information, 
But it's important to understand why it's described in the Bible. If you remember your Exodus stories, Caleb was one of the spies that Moses had sent out to spy on the land of Canaan. While the other spies, when they came back, reported that it was too hard and they recommended against taking the land, Caleb and Joshua advised Moses to go for it. Caleb was a faithful man that trusted God to fulfill his promises while others allowed their fears to allow their fears to override their small faith. In communal societies, which is dominant in Asia, Africa, and the Mediterranean, your family line is very important. It defines your identity. When two persons meet, one of the first items of conversation is to figure out which family, clan, or village you come from. Since honor is a shared commodity, the action of one person can bring honor or shame upon the entire community. So, for example, if I was asked my name in a communal society, I will always give my family name first. So in response to the question, what is your name, I would usually say, I come from the Chin family, and my name is Peter. My family line is my identity. So the Caleb and his descendants, the Calebites, had land, power, and influence. And we shall see later on how this played out. But Nabal was only a Calebite by name. His character and his conduct did not honor that heritage. Let's read together 1 Samuel 25, 4-8. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David sent ten young men instructing them, Go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, Long life to you and peace to you, peace to your family, and peace to all that is yours. I hear that, I hear that you are shearing. When your shepherds were with me, we did not harass them, and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, find, and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. Carmel is in the area surrounding Engadi, where David was previously hiding. David and his men had acted as guardians of Nabal's servants and his flock. They did not harass them or harm them. In fact, later on from verse 15, we find out that David and his men actually provided security against dangers. So David and his men had acted out of kindness and generosity towards Nabal's servants. When you first read this, you could be under the impression that David was running some sort of mafia-style protection extortion record. Was it time for Nabal to pay up for the benefits of David's protection? Let me share with you that in communal societies, life is an intricate network of relationships. 
the network of relationships is your social capital. The most important asset that any person can have is his honor or reputation. Problems are solved via relationships, and a strong social network is essential for success in life. You accrue social capital through your relationships and by your generosity, kindness, and hospitality. Then you can cash in your social capital when you need help. But in our individualistic Western society, solving problems through relationships is often seen as corrupt and unfair. We, we are used to using our financial capital to buy our goods and services. So in other words, David was not exacting protection money. Rather, he was expecting Nabal to show mutual and reciprocal generosity and hospitality. David has timed his request on a feast day when Nabal was shearing his sheep. Shearing sheep was a festive time, a time of celebration and fellowship and reward for all the hard work. It was also a time for the hosts to show generosity and hospitality. Let me give you an example. Chinese New Year, if you're aware, Chinese New Year this year is on 1st February, Tuesday week. If you've ever been to Asia during Chinese New Year, you know that it's a festive time with plenty of celebration and plenty to eat. The, fest, the festive time lasts for 15 days. And during that period, Chinese families will have open houses, an opportunity for generosity and hospitalities for friends, families, and strangers. I love it. You can basically drop in unannounced to a family or a friend's place. There will always be enough food for everyone. Food is always prepared in abundance for both expected and unexpected guests and visitors. So I suspect that the sharing feast is similar, except on a grander scale. Verse 36 tells us the feast was like a feast fit for a king. Generosity, generous hospitality is expected. So this was an ideal time for David to make his request. David also instructed his men to be polite, courteous, and respectful. They did not threaten Nabal, nor did they make him feel guilty. They came with words of blessings and peace. And you know that they addressed Nabal very respectfully. They presented Nabal of evidence they were deserving of help. They made no demands, but left it completely to Nabal. Verse, 20, verse 8, it says, Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. In 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter wrote, Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good, 
as good stewards of the varied grace of God. We are stewards of what God has given us. They are not solely for us to enjoy, but importantly, they are there for us to share and use to serve others. This was definitely not Nabal's attitude. Remember that he was very rich, but he did not believe that his wealth was a blessing from God, nor to be, to be shared. Look at verse 11. What did Nabal say? He said, Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, my meat that I have butchered for my shearers and give them to this man? I don't know where they're from. Notice the personal pronoun. Everything was his personal possession. It reminds us that wealth does not automatically lead to generosity. We also must remember Jesus' parable of the poor widow. It's a warning to us on how we handle wealth. Nabal here was arrogant and did not bother to fact-check with his servants. What he did was deliberate and contemptuous. He insulted David by claiming that he didn't know who David was. He took delight in belittling David and associated David with slaves who had ran away from their masters. He simply told David to get lost, and probably in much cruder language. So Nabal's problem has moved beyond just being stingy and lacking generosity. He was mean-spirited and cruel in his dealing with people. A token gesture of generous generosity and hospitality would have satisfied David. Instead, Nabal had returned evil for the good that David had done. David's men returned to David and reported what had transpired. David was furious. He had been insulted, he has been shamed, disrespected, dishonored, and humiliated. Remember back in the caves of Engedi, David agonized over just cutting a corner of Saul's robe, and he swore never to kill Saul. Now, he swore horrific vengeance on Nabal who had wronged him. What contrasting reactions. David was filled with rage. He needed to restore his honor. He needed to avenge his shame. He saw that he would kill every male in the Baal's household by dawn, and he assembled 400 of his men. Talk about an overkill. Pardon the pun. Nabal had no chance of survival. David's reaction, if we are honest, and I'm talking to the males around us, David's reaction was a typical male reaction. We allow our testosterone to make decisions for us. Our pride, our ego, leads us instinctively. I think if we were like David, we also would just want to hurt someone. Time for Abigail, our heroine, to show up. Abigail is described as intelligent and beautiful. 
her intelligence, her calm and decisive demeanor is obvious when we read her interaction with her servant and with David. Unlike her servant, she had a good relationship with her servant, and it was honest. Yeah. You'll be surprised at the comments the servant made about Nabal. The servant came to her because they knew, or he knew, that she was a problem solver, not like Nabal, who was a problem creator. Abigail quickly understood the severity of Nabal's rejection of David's request. From our reading, it was obvious that food was in abundance and already prepared. Uh, how long would you take to prepare the amount of food that Abigail parceled together? The food that she had parceled together may seem substantial, but it was hardly a dent in the food supply for the feast. Nabal didn't even notice that the food was missing. And personally, I don't believe that the amount of food is enough to feed 600 hungry men. They were hungry. Five sheep, not enough. The gift was more of a token of goodwill and reconciliation. Instinctively, she knew she had to protect Nabal. She recognized immediately that David had been seriously shamed and dishonored. She knew there was no point in talking to Nabal because he was stubborn and pig-headed, <coughs> and no one could talk to him. Her decisions were not betraying her husband. Time was the essence. It was critical for her to restore David's honor. So off she went to intercept David, and when she saw David, her posture was one of humble submission. She approached David with respect, that respect that Nabal had not accorded. Even though she was far richer than David, her wealth did not matter. Notice that she did not stray from addressing David as my Lord. She was diplomatic. Her appeal to David was full of contrition and reconciliation. She acknowledged that Nabal was foolish in not respecting and honoring David. But more importantly, she took on the guilt and blame for Nabal. Even though she was fully aware of the punishment that came with the blame, she accepted responsibility of what had happened. Abigail's actions must point us to Christ on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Abigail's actions here were the principles of the cross, and it opened door to peace with God. Abigail's whole plea of mercy was not just based on her own opinions or her own arguments. Rather, she appealed to God. She referenced God, Yahweh, seven times in her plea. She reminded David that Yahweh had kept 
David from participating in bloodshed and avenging himself by his hands. Verse 28, Yahweh was certain to make a lasting dynasty for David. And Yahweh was fighting David's battle, or David was fighting Yahweh's battle. Verse 29, Yahweh was protecting and looking after David. Verse 30, David will be made ruler over Israel, but there must be no remorse or guilty conscience of needless bloodshed. And verse 31, Yahweh will do good things for David. So Abigail's appeal to God made David sit up and take notice. She had reminded David of God's sovereignty and his supreme power and authority. David had been rebuked for his raging, self-centered need for revenge. He had allowed his wounded pride and ego to dictate his actions. David knew immediately that God had spoken. Look at verse 32. It says that, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. David recognized that God had kept him from disaster by putting Abigail in his path. David accepted Abigail's gift and sent her home in peace. His honor has been restored. But more importantly, David realized that he must trust God and must not take vengeance into his own hand. Vengeance is for God to take. We must remember that David was God's anointed king. Nabal's foolish disrespect of David was more than just a personal insult to David the man. He was scorning God's king. He was insulting God. The story did not just end there. The story did not just end with the goodwill restored between David and Nabal's family. We read that when Abigail returned home, he saw Nabal was just having a fantastically good time, too good a time. He was indulging in his food and wine. He was very drunk, and there was very little point for Abigail to talk to him. So Nabal's gluttony and drinking are a stark contrast with him denying David's request for hospitality. Nabal feasted like a king, but rejected the legitimate request of the future king. So Abigail waited until Nabal sobered up the next day and told him what had happened. Now instead of relief and gratitude that his life has been saved, Nabal was outraged. So outraged that he either had a heart attack or a stroke. And ten days later, he died. Nabal's humiliation of David has been avenged but not by the hands of David. Now, we may be surprised or a bit uncomfortable with what happened next. The Bible doesn't give us all the details, but enough information to tell us that David straight away proposed marriage to Abigail. 
And more importantly, and more surprisingly, Abigail accepted it without hesitation. I like Abigail's humble and spontaneous response, even though she was a wealthy widow. Let's read from 41. This is after the messenger's been to Abigail with the marriage proposal. So 41, she stood up, paid homage with her face to the ground and said, Here I am, your servant, a slave to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail got up quickly and with her five female servants accompanying her, rode on the donkey following David's messenger. And so she became his wife. Just in case you missed it, Abigail had five ladies in waiting for her. That's a lot. Don't some of you females and wives would love to have one lady in waiting? (laughs) She had five. David did not marry Abigail just for her beauty and intelligence. There were also political advantages. Remember what we spoke about the Calebites? Abigail by now was a very rich Calebite widow and well respected. By marrying Abigail, David gained support of the Calebites. In fact, when David was installed king, and you read about it in 2 Samuel 2, David was installed in Hebron, a city in the Calabite region. And verse 43 says that David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel. Mentioning these two marriages together adds strength to the political reasons of marriage. So what can we learn from Abigail? First, God uses Abigail to calm David down and to remind David that his agenda is not God's agenda. We, like David, like to run our own lives and we react to circumstances. Like David, we are reminded that we are God's chosen people, chosen for his good works. Paul tells us in Colossians to set our minds on things above. Second, let the word of God counsel us. Just as Abigail referenced God in her appeal to David, we must let God's word rule our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, Scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So our reactions, depending on how we feel, do our anger, our pride, our ego, determine how we react. Our comments, whether it be private, public, or on social media, are they seasoned with God's words? Third, Abigail teaches us that God is in charge and is in control. Nothing happens without God. And that's the same with all the heroines we've covered in this series, from Rahab to Abigail. They led ordinary lives, and they all recognized the sovereignty of God 
and they all chose to be on God's side. Despite their own personal circumstances, they trusted God. They must be models to remind and prompt us to turn to God and away from our self-centeredness. They all serve to remind us that our lives are in God's hands and we can trust him ultimately to make things right. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for your word that, Lord, as you have spoken, may you speak to us and remind us that you are our God, that we, we are your creation. Amen. And I think it's appropriate that we sing the next song in response to what we've heard before the throne of God.